Hey everyone, I'm Renee Bennett. Consider me the girl next door, having conversations that will help challenge and shape your worldview in a culture that has turned our moral compass upside down and inside out. To chat with me further, come join me on social media, girlnextdoor.podcast. No topics are off limits. I'm really glad you're here. Now, on to today's episode. Hello guys, how you doing? We're going to get straight into today, our third part, probably the last part of the Think Again collection. Guys, I have got two really juicy topics to get into today. But just before I do, hey, big shout out and thank you to one of my boy Girl Next Door listeners, Josh, because I've been asking on and off for a while, can you rate a podcast on Spotify. And considering about half, just under half of my listeners listen on Spotify, it was kind of like frustrating me because a lot of people have rated and reviewed on Apple, but I couldn't work it out on Spotify. Anyway, I don't know if this is a new feature or what, but if you go to um, the podcast name, The Girl Next Door Podcast, on the top left, you can see like it's got, um, well, so far I've got, I can see 14 five-star reviews. Thanks, guys. Um, but if you click on that, it'll take you to a review button and you can give me um, five stars would be nice, right? Yes. Anyway, thank you, Josh, for letting me know. Finally, we know. So if you are a Spotify listener, I'd love if you could go do that. Otherwise, if you're an Apple listener, we all know what to do on Apple. All right. So episode 100, 100, 156, Think Again Collection. This one, bit of a teaser, are diseases created for profit? Ooh, the controversy. Why do I do this to myself? Okay. (laughs) So guys, that title alone is blowing my mind. Like, are diseases created for profit. That kind of makes me sick to even think about it. Now, I promise you, I have never, ever really kind of considered that before if diseases have been created. But honestly, your mind's going to be blown today. Like I've definitely considered that we look for disease and we probably overlook for disease. And if you look for something, you'll always find it. I've considered that we over-diagnose disease. I think that we, um, you know, it's obviously good to catch things early, but I do think we've got a pandemic of over-diagnosing. I've even considered, of course, that some things we do to supposedly keep healthy, like some of the medicines and things that we take can maybe create other diseases. I've considered that. So for example, recently a friend was telling me that his mum had been taking a medicine for the last 10 years to help her stop smoking. And um, it was interesting because I did hear about this medicine and I heard how the very, very end of last year, it was actually taken off the shelves. And so very interesting that a friend of mine, you know, his own mother um, was taking this particular drug and stopped taking it. Now, the drug was meant to help you stop smoking. So the drug was designed to help suppress your desire to smoke. And it was so well reviewed. Everyone was like, this is amazing. All the doctors were prescribing it. It had, um, you know, really high credibility. But it turns out that after 10 years, they'd collected, oh, shock horror, they'd collected enough data after 10 years that showed that this tablet that was meant to help people maintain a healthier lifestyle 
actually causes cancer. So the thing, you know, they're trying to get people to stop smoking so that they won't get things like lung cancer. And then the tablet that they're giving them to help them stop smoking to try and make them not get cancer gives them other kinds of cancer. Mind blowing. I know. But I had never really thought about how pharmaceutical companies were inventing diseases to make money. What? Now, just, okay, I feel like I've jumped the gun a little bit. Let me just remind you why we're doing this series. Think again, collection. Remember, we've been talking about how we've become lazy in our thinking and we've just given our thinking over to um, you know, to, to, to everything, you know, our cars think for us, the government thinks for us, the health system thinks for us, the education system thinks for us. So basically this series is all about reclaiming our thinking. And, uh, we look back in history and a lot of things would not have happened in history if people were critically thinking. And so I'm wanting, I guess, to dive down into these fun kind of, well, this one's not fun. This one's heavy. But last week, remember, we talked about all sorts of stuff, uh, all of the old 60s adverts, which now we're like, oh my gosh, like doctors telling us smoking was good for us and to eat more sugar to help us um, not overeat. And then we talked about polar bears and we talked about plastic bags and the plastic bag ban. So all of these topics really is my way of saying, guys, everywhere you look in in life, um, we should be required or we should be thinking for ourselves. So this is just another one. Um, And so, yeah, that's my aim in this Think Again collection. So anyway, let's get back to this, uh, this thought of pharmaceutical companies inventing diseases to make money. It's like, what the heck? So according to a lot of articles, and you can, like I said, you can Google this yourself, but if anyone does want the link, and sometimes some of you do DM me and ask me for the links, um, which I always keep um, in case you want them. Um, But according to a lot of articles, pharmaceutical companies are actively involved in sponsoring the definition of diseases and then promoting them. And of course, in the promoting of them, they're making money off the supposed cure or the medicine that they're always involved in making. Now, do you remember the first one we did on this about polio and how I said they changed the definition of polio? So that's probably an example, I guess, um, where pharmaceutical companies are the ones actively involved in in changing or creating the definitions of disease. I'm going to give you an example in a minute. That's literally going to make you laugh, but this is known as disease mongering. Okay. It can include things like when they portray, portray a mild problem as severe, like it might be a mild health problem, but they're like, Oh no, this is severe. You got to go get it treated. Or they might widen the existing definition, which is what they did with polio. They widened it. Or it could be that they create a whole new category of medical illnesses, or they just create a whole new disease, which is what I'm about to talk about in a minute. Uh, So it's really about transforming more and more the, the ups and downs of what should just be ordinary life into these signs and symptoms of treatable conditions. So they're basically, what are they doing? These pharmaceutical companies is they're shifting what it means to be human. And they're making too many people into patients who really shouldn't be patients. Their bodies are just going about their normal 
you know, um, thing that human bodies do where not everything's always perfect, but they're turning these, these kind of, um, so-called bodily functions into sicknesses. Now, What's even crazier is how this began. And this is the story I want to tell you. Guys, it just seems so innocent because this all began with something that most of us probably have in our bathroom cupboards. Guess what it is? What do you think it is that is in your bathroom cupboard that started this? It's the good old mouthwash Listerine. Do you guys have Listerine? I don't, I don't think Listerine's disgusting. It is like an explosion in your mouth because it's so spicy. To me, it's spicy, so I don't like using it. Anyway, do you know when Listerine dated back to? This will blow your mind. It dates back to 1879, and it was never made in the beginning. It was never a mouthwash. If I say to you, what is Listerine? Everybody knows Listerine is a mouthwash, but it did not start as a mouthwash. It was actually considered to be a surgical antiseptic. Okay, so if you were um, doing a surgery on someone, then um, I guess maybe now we use Betadine. Back then, they used Listerine. They would like use it to clean the the site, the area of the of the um, of the operation. So there were these two guys, Dr. Joseph Lawrence and Jordan Lambert, and they were the ones who invented Listerine, and they named it after. The, the surgeon who performed the very first antiseptic surgical procedure, and his name was Dr. Joseph Lister. Get it? Lister, Listerine. What I want to know right now is um, what did they do then before they performed, pardon me, before they performed antiseptic surgical procedures? That's a gross thought. <laughs> they just didn't they just didn't cleanse the, the wound site, I guess. So anyway, after it was used in surgeries, these guys obviously were like entrepreneurs. They started selling Listerine, get this, as a floor cleaner. So guys, next time you have a dirty floor, just take that Listerine out of your cupboard and throw some on the floor. Great floor cleaner. And then they also used it as a treatment for gonorrhea. Yes, that is an STD. And how did they use it? I don't know. And I don't think I want to know. We'll just leave that bit to the imagination. Then in 1895, so a couple years later, so remember it was made in 79. So in 1895, they decided, oh, here's a good idea on how we can sell more. Let's market Listerine to dentists for oral care. And so it took a little while, dentists used it. And then finally, about almost 20 years later in 1914, it became the first over-the-counter mouthwash. So finally in 1914, you could could go to your local pharmacist and you could buy Listerine finally as a mouthwash. So by the 1920s, the pharmaceutical company who were making Listerine they were super confident that they'd found this really effective cure, but now all they needed was a disease. Like, why would people want to come and get this stuff called Listerine as a mouthwash? They were just like, well, there's no reason. So they had to create a disease in order to create a need for Listerine. So they made up a disease and the disease was called halitosis. In fact, this disease exists to this day. I had to Google it. I'm like, what's halitosis? Before that time, right, halitosis 
was just a weird medical term that hardly anyone had heard of. I still, like, you're probably going, Renee, what the heck is halitosis? All halitosis is, get ready for it, guys, it's bad breath. So they had this very clever marketing as advertisers. They started to promote Listerine as a cure for halitosis, which they said halitosis could affect your chances of succeeding in romance, marriage, or even your work. So soon halitosis It wasn't just you've just got a normal case of human bad breath. No, it became a medical condition that needed a cure. And if you Google it now, it's still the same. Halitosis, how to cure halitosis. It's just like bad breath, guys. Maybe eat a bit healthier. (laughs) Um, I'm not mocking. Some people really do have like legitimate medical halitosis, I think. But anyway, so they had created this disease that now needed the cure. And so people all over America were told that they had halitosis, so they all rushed out to buy the cure Listerine. Now, bad breath was never considered a medical condition until a company realized that it could help them sell mouthwash. So now you have the beginning of a concept that really took off after that. They realized, oh my gosh, this works, disease mongering. If we create a product and then we create the disease that creates the need for that product, we can make a lot of money. And so this concept of disease mongering, it's being explored and more awareness has actually been given to it. I think the first guy to start talking about it wasn't until the 1970s. But then in the 1990s, a health science writer called Lynn Payer wrote a book about disease mongering. And she, I'm gathering that's a she, introduced the term disease mongering. And so she said that doctors and pharmaceutical companies and insurers are making us feel sick on purpose. Now, we've all seen the movies, right, where you see the reps from the pharmaceutical companies visiting the doctors to sell them the latest pill. And then once a doctor has bought a certain medicine from the rep, well, they've now got to sell it. So they'll be trying to get rid of that particular medicine or pill to all of their um to all of their patients. So there's a real, guys, if you've not, oh my gosh, if you've not watched this movie, you have to go and watch it. It's a great movie about exactly this topic on Netflix and it's called Dope Sick, D-O-P-E Sick. Go watch it. It will open your eyes to what I'm saying. It's a true story about a company trying to sell a painkiller, which was actually an opioid. Now, up until that point, no one was allowed to sell opioids because it was addictive. But these guys said that they had this brand new product and they guaranteed that if you take this product, you would not become addicted. And the problem is, and you you might have heard of this situation, it was called the opioid crisis in America. Um, and honestly, this this drug absolutely took off. It was being it was being sold to hospitals, to doctors all over the country, uh, as this absolute miracle drug, this miracle cure. And um, it, particularly in the hospitals, they were trying to um, because they bought so much of this drug, they just were giving it to patients left, right, and center. But the problem was they did become addicted. And this drug literally, it didn't just, it it did more than ruin people's lives. It actually took people's lives. Hundreds of thousands of people were ruined uh, because they became drug addicted, drug addicts, 
Uh, some of them overdosed, a lot of them died, some of them just never could get their life back. And it, it was really sad, but it really opens your eyes to this whole pharmaceutical kind of industry. Um, now, when this first started happening with the Listerine uh, back in the late 1800s um, and early 1900s, the father of American psychology, William James, he saw this unfold. And even back then, he knew that this was wrong. He was so frustrated by the Listerine advertisers, who, by the way, were creating these little mini soap operas, convincing people that they would suffer this terrible social shame if they didn't use their product. And he said that they should be considered public enemies. And we were just talking back then about Listerine. Can you imagine if he was alive today, what he thought, what he would think about um, how far that these companies have taken it and how much we just buy into it? I'm going to blow your mind again. I think I've said that three times already in a minute, because I'm going to tell you some of the other diseases that um, are widely now considered a part of this disease mongering. And I didn't even know. Um, So... He, he, this, this psychologist said that these guys should be considered public enemies and they should have no mercy shown to them. So how do these companies disease monger? Um, I mentioned it before, but they'll just take common symptoms and make them sound like they're the signs of a serious disease. Um, they'll use stats selectively to exaggerate the benefits of their treatment. They'll recruit doctors to back their message. Um, they might define, you know, a, a large portion of the population as possible as suffering from this particular disease. And of course, what are they playing on? They're actually playing on our fear. You know, humans have, um, have a fear of, of sickness. They have a fear of death. In fact, a very interesting point is that um, the more, the less people that believe in religion and the more that religion goes down in our value system, the higher up becomes um, the fear, fear of dying, which is so interesting. And so one researcher I looked at noted that, that these, these pharmaceutical companies are just playing on our fear. And so we run out and we go and get, you know, this supposed tablet that we need. So some examples that are healthcare, the healthcare watchdogs to this day note as conditions that, yes, they exist, but have been wildly exaggerated. Okay, here's the first one, guys. Balding. Balding, as in men losing their hair. Um, that's been labeled a medical issue and that you must go see your doctor. Well, why can't it just be a normal part of um, guys getting older? Um, Another one, osteoporosis, is uh, one of the ones considered widely, wildly exaggerated. Um, So the, the risk of a future fracture was being promoted as this silent disease called osteoporosis. Why? Because they were trying to build markets for this certain line of drugs. Um, Another one is irritable bowel syndrome. We've all heard of IBS. You can go to anywhere and get tablets for IBS. Um, Where that started was a medical communications firm working for a major drug company developed plans to reshape the medical and public opinion of IBS to make it credible, common and a concrete disease Um, in order for why? So that they could sell this potentially actually highly dangerous drug called Olocetron. 
Now, here are a few others that are considered a part of the disease mongering um, crisis that we have. Um, interestingly, bipolar, um, ADHD, restless leg syndrome, and social anxiety disorder. And there are, there are many more. So in 2002, there was another book written about this. So, so every kind of decade, someone's trying to alert us to it. And this book was called Selling Sickness, How the World's Biggest Pharmaceutical Companies Are Turning Us All Into Patients. Um, and that was published internationally and translated into dozens of languages. This is a problem worldwide. So the author explained um, 10 common medical conditions and how the definitions of those conditions had been broadened in recent times in order to widen the markets for their, for their drug therapies. So human bodily functions that really are just a normal part of life all of a sudden become illnesses that need treating. Now, of course, need I say, these definitions, when they create these definitions of these diseases or they change the definitions of a disease, they are always written by people within the medical community who always, interestingly, have multiple financial ties to drug companies because, of course, they're hoping to sell those very products. I challenge you, find me a disease where someone's changed the definition or created a disease um, who is not, doesn't, who doesn't have a conflict of interest, who doesn't have some sort of tie somewhere back to these drug companies. Um, I don't know how many times I've heard even uh, during the pandemic about different people that are, that are tied back to these, these companies. So guess what the latest definition is to change, by the way? I don't know if I've told you guys this before, but the actual definition of of the word vaccine has changed three times since 2015. And the latest time that the, the definition of the word vaccine changed was, oh, let's guess, last year. So anyway, I don't want this to become a vaccine talk. So I'm going to leave that one with you. Go look it up yourself. Do some critical thinking. That might help. There you go. All right. So in the last 10 or so minutes, I want to finish off with what I promised I would talk about last week, which was teeth, your pearly whites. I told you last week that I noticed that a lot of the pics I saw of children in Africa from probably from more years ago, I don't know that I've seen any more recently, but anyway, I have noticed before that some kids from non-Western countries like, uh, like Africa where, or places at least where they had no dental care, that, uh, you know, places where parents certainly weren't booking them in for their yearly dental visits, that these kids had the straightest, whitest, whitest, most beautiful smile. Um, now you can actually Google this. You can look and Google pictures of African and I think Aboriginal children's teeth in three different stages, you can find photographs of their teeth when they were on a traditional diet. Then you can find what their teeth looked like when they started to adopt more of a Western modern diet. And then there are pictures of the next generation down after one generation on the Western medical diet. You should see the decline in their teeth. It's incredible. Not, not just the straightness, but like, the whole jawline and everything is so different. It's 
utterly incredible. Now, here in Australia, like it just seems to be a rite of passage that most kids seem to have crooked teeth. Nearly every kid when they're 12, 13, 14 gets braces. Um, A lot of them get fillings. And then once we hit a certain age, we all go get our teeth whitened. Um, And so I do remember probably, look, I didn't think an awful lot about it when I was younger. I mean, I've had braces and you just go to the dentist and you do your thing. But when my alarm bell started to go off was when Georgia was little and I think I, I don't know, maybe she was five and I took her to the dentist and she had some teeth issues and the dentist told me she's got hyperplasia and I'm like, what the heck is that? And how did she get it? And they're like, well, she was born with it and hyperplasia um, means that she's missing the enamel on most of her teeth. I was like, what, what does that mean? And they're like, well, cause she had some teeth that were like brown at the back. Poor Georgia. She's going to kill me for telling you anyway. Um, so enamel is the stuff that protects your teeth from decaying. So no enamel, your teeth basically go brown, rot and drop out your head. Okay. <laughs> so she, um, was born with little to no enamel on most teeth, like not just her baby teeth, but her adult teeth. I was told would be affected. So I was told that we would need, and then once she became an adult, she would need the top dental health cover for the rest of her life. And every dentist I took her to, each one seemed to give me a worse uh, report than the last. And each one seemed to want to rip out more teeth than the last dentist. So the final straw was, I remember taking her to this pediatric dentist and he wanted to pull out three of her double teeth that had been affected. And I could see they were affected because they were like brown and, and rotting. But then he wanted to take the corresponding good three teeth out on the other side for symmetry, he told me. And I was like, what? Heck no. I grabbed her and I ran out of that place. I'm like, I'm not going back. I mean, why would you take three good teeth? I understand symmetry, but I'm pretty sure that's just his opinion. And so I grabbed her, I ran out of there, I started researching and oh my gosh, guys, to this day, I am so thankful to the science-based, I call him holistic, they call themselves science-based dentist um, that I found here in Brisbane. They're amazing. They're actually trained in London. It's a father and a son. They've got a huge practice. Yes, I drive 45 minutes to get there, but it's been worth it. But they opened my eyes to the world of dentistry and teeth and uh, probably another big lie, I guess, that we just all accept. Um, But he was the one that said to me, have you noticed how good the teeth of children in countries that are not exposed to Western civilization are? And I was like, yeah, I have noticed. And he was the one that opened my eyes to the fact that we, our Western lifestyle is what's creating poor teeth, guys. So he told me the work, you can go and look this up, of this wonderful dentist who practiced in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, and his name was Weston Price, and he was the one that noticed that children not exposed to the Western diet, which um, back then was certainly the indigenous groups um, of children in lots of different countries, that they all had these broad, attractive faces, wide dental arches uh, with beautifully aligned teeth and no tooth decay. And so I guess that's when I started to realize, oh my gosh, we're doing this to ourselves with our Western lifestyle. And so obviously diet and food choices are a huge part of it. They have a profound effect 
on our growth and development. And the past few hundred years, we've gone from hard nutrient-dense diet to this soft nutrient-depleted deleted diet. And what's happened is our jaw muscles have much less effort and have become much weaker. Plus we're overfed, we're undernourished. And so it's got a lot to do with our, with our jaws. Um, and so, yeah, basically I, I don't want to go into it cause I don't want this to become like a dentistry podcast, but I learned so much. Um, the other thing that that he told me was, you know, with toxins on the rise, and this was definitely the case for Georgia, um, that the more allergies that little kids have, the more that they can't breathe through their nose. And then they leave their mouth open and they breathe through their mouth. And then when they breathe through their mouth, that becomes a habit. And when you do that, your jaw becomes weaker and it, um, it, uh, it moves your teeth around. So the most powerful thing, these guys, I, you're going to, you're going to love me for this. Okay. This is what I want you to do. I want you to just like put your mouth in a resting position, just like close your mouth for a second. Like if you're sitting down reading or you're on the computer and you've just got your mouth, like, what do you normally do? See, some people have their mouth open a lot. Um, but even when your mouth is closed, where's your tongue resting? Do you know your tongue is one of the most powerful muscles in your body? And this is what this dentist taught me. He said, when your mouth is closed, your tongue should be resting as if you're saying the letter N. N. I feel like I'm a speech therapist. So say the letter N to yourself. N. That's roughly where your tongue should sit. Your tongue should sit on the roof of your mouth behind your front teeth. And that just that in itself helps to keep a really good mouth posture, which keeps our teeth straight. And so all these allergies and kids having them, leaving their mouths open and um, all of that, that's a small part of it. And so I had to really concentrate with my kids on making them keep their mouths closed, <laughs> which was good. They couldn't talk so much. Um, but yeah, anyway, so it just blew my mind again. That's probably the sixth time I've said it. But while Western civilization is actually the one creating the poorly aligned teeth and jaws and therefore faces, by the way, but we ignore that, we're ignoring the cause mostly because we don't know, because nobody tells us. And then what we do is we line up to these orthodontists and we pay tens of thousand dollars to fix the problem where the problem needs to be reversed from a whole other way, not by paying tens of thousands of dollars for braces, but diet, nutrition, um, and the way that this guy actually corrects it is, and again, I haven't got time to go into it, but none of my kids had, had braces, none of them. And, oh, do you want to hear the end of the story with Georgia? I'll tell you about the braces first. They didn't have braces. What his approach was, was they had a special plate. Now, oh, it drives me crazy. So many people say to me, Oh, my, my, my kids. I remember I had a friend at the same time who like, Oh, my kids are having the same treatment as you. And I'm like, no, it's not. It's not just a plate in your mouth. It's not a normal plate. It was a special plate with, um, I can't explain it any other way other than a hinge. And every night, um, we had this special like little key and we had to turn the key of their plate a half a turn every single night. And this went on for months and months and months. And what it did is that made the plate go wider and wider and wider, which slowly over time 
um, increased my kids' jaw width so that their jaws were slightly bigger so that their teeth fell into place naturally. Is that just the cleverest thing? Now, it took commitment because I definitely had to drive there all the time and it was 45 minutes. It was cheaper than braces. Um, but a lot of people think they're doing the same thing with a plate, but it's not the same thing because it's the jaw widening that does it. But the key is you have to do it when they're young. You have to do it while they're growing. You can't do it after. So as they grow, you're helping helping their jaw widen and then their teeth fall into place. So anyway, what happened with Georgia, this amazing dentist said to me, Renee, I want to see, let's just let mother nature take its course. He said to me, she's actually got beautifully straight teeth. Like she, cause that was the other thing I was told. I was told she needs braces. I was told she needs all this teeth out and then she needs braces. And I was like, this poor kid, oh my gosh. And we actually used to pray. I'd be like, Lord, I need a miracle in her mouth. Cause I just don't want her to go through all this. And it just didn't sit right with me. I just was like, this does not feel right to me. And this guy said to me, Renee, we are going to let nature take its course And none of my kids have had their wisdom teeth out either, by the way, because there's no crowding. So they've got room because their jaws were opened. Um, And then with Georgia, we've literally left her teeth. She has never had braces. She's never had a filling. Her hyperplasia has very minimally affected a few teeth. The major ones were taken out when she was little. And she literally has no issues whatsoever. So I have gone from being told I would need top health cover paying tens of thousands of dollars and endless dental visits to absolutely guys, zero dollars, zero. Well, oh, except for her, her, her visits to the dentist, which were all of $50. I am so grateful to that. But what I'm more grateful for is a brain that's been trained to think for myself. So I did not mean for that to end as a dental lesson, But I hope you take away the main lesson, which is, please, in every area of your life, don't just take what you're told. Think about it. Research. Look at all the angles. If something's not sitting right, question it to yourself and keep looking until you find an answer, which is exactly what I did for Georgia. I took her to about three or four dentists. None of them felt right to me. Only one, one dentist I let take out the rotten teeth. And I remember the poor kid having to have day surgery. And I just thought, I just don't want her to go through this the rest of her life. And so I delved deeper and I'm just, you know, and I'm just so grateful that I did. But I feel too like I often would pray to and be like, God, help me. Just guide me in all these decisions for my kids. Anyway, there you go. So that kind of concludes this Think Again collection. So I hope you've enjoyed those um, different variety of topics. Um, Come along for Friday for sure. Last Friday was actually one of my favorite podcasts, I think, that I recorded where I just talked about um, how to have a strong marriage, uh, particularly while raising kids. But I think it's good for anyone on how to have a strong marriage, even if you're not married. Um, I'm going to do a few more episodes on that because, yeah, I just really shared from my heart the other day and um, teared up a few times, which is not like me on the podcast. I don't like doing that, but yeah, I was talking about my Nana and my grandpa and then Cameron and me. And anyway, so if you're interested in that, um, don't worry that it's a parenthood episode. I think a lot of you will benefit from it. So anyway, come back and listen on Friday. And then uh, meanwhile, if you could hit that 
rate button on Spotify, leave a review on Apple podcast. I would appreciate that so much. Share and um, come and chat to me in my DMs. Anyway, have the most wonderful week and I'll see you guys on Friday. Bye.